Hello and welcome to The Last Looks Podcast, a show where we catch up with talented hairstylists and makeup artists in the film and television industry. We'll pick their super creative brains and find out all the good stuff. Join me, your host, Jamie Lee, in finding out what's what in the hair and makeup departments around the world. And now, a word from our sponsor. Listen up, denizens of the makeup world. This is Pam, a.k.a. Precious About Makeup, the one-stop shop for all your makeup needs. We are the longest-running makeup supply company in the UK. We offer same-day, next-day, and international shipping from our store in West London. We have a wide array of SFX, hair, beauty, bags, and costume supplies. Pam is the only place you need for all your kit essentials. With brands like PPI, Telesis, Skin Illustrator, Dave Stoneman, Mac Pro, Ben Nye, Creolin, MyKitCo, and many more. Pam is staffed with a knowledgeable and friendly team. Find us at preciousaboutmakeup.com and listeners of this podcast can enjoy 15% off the entire range of Pam goods on their first order. Use code LASTLOOKPOD at checkout. Pam Makeup. Buy makeup artists for makeup artists. And now, our feature presentation. Today on the Last Looks podcast, we're catching up with now retired hair and makeup artist Faye Hammond. Faye has had an incredibly impressive career with such a variety of projects under her belt. Faye's start at the BBC supplied her with amazing training, but also provided the perfect launch pad into a freelance world. I'm so inspired by Faye's career, but also her knowing when and how to retire. That is definitely a subject we all need to think about at some point. Welcome to the Last Looks podcast, Faye. Hi, thank you. Of course. Hey, I want you to finish the sentence for me, okay? Yes. Once upon a time, there was a little girl named Faye, and when she grew up, she wanted to be... A makeup and hair artist. You did? How did you know that? (laughs) Funny enough, no, I didn't really. But I tell you what I did. I loved... I would spend hours drawing hair. You know, I'd draw outfits. I did draw a lot of sort of fantasy creatures... And, you know, all sorts of things, hairstyles. So I did start very early sort of sketching, um, you know, outfits and all the rest of it. So it was sort of very much obviously in my brain that that was something that uh, I could do one day. You're kind of designing characters. Yes, it was weird. I mean, I literally, like my son did trains and things, and now he works for trains. <laughs> I did oh, that's people. interesting. But they, were, <laughs> but they were always quite floaty and princessy and magical and sort of labyrinthy, you know. So there you go. So how does that then, I mean, you get into being a teenager and high school and all that kind of stuff, and, and people are saying, what are you going to do when you leave when you leave school, Faye? How, how do you make decisions and how does it go from Well, here? I think what it was with me, I actually wasn't, the job I also thought I wanted to be a dietitian, but I actually wasn't clever enough. And so I got very involved in sort of theatrical, we had a great, I went to a great school and there's a lot of drama. So I got very involved, fashion shows, dramas, you know, and I was definitely behind the scenes. I never wanted to act or be in it, but I was really happy behind the scenes. And then how, how did you figure out hair and makeup? Which came first, makeup or hair? Both, to be honest. But what yeah. happened, it was, there was just an ad for, I don't know quite, I think I remember watching some titles on some BBC productions and thinking, well, that job really does exist. Mm. And I think just a bit of luck somewhere that I had the opportunity to go and look around the BBC, which of course at the time was the biggest thing in almost the world as far as television. Yeah. Huge. And so I had that opportunity and somebody there suggested that I got the Stage magazine, which was this rather really old fashioned sort of magazine that's been going for some years, which covered all kinds of sort of theatrical pursuits and you know, crits and all the rest of it. But that's where the job was advertised. And so they said to look out, that's where there'd be, if there was a job in the makeup and hair department in the BBC, they would train us. And uh, so you applied to be trained. 
And that's where I saw the advert. And it was so funny because you had to wait till you were 20 and a half. And I remember trying to fill that time in between a tiny bit of art school. I then worked in the Opera House in Covent Garden in London, did a lot of costume stuff. But I knew that, that, you know, for me, what I really wanted to do was have that opportunity to train as a makeup and hair artist. And amazingly, even though I hadn't really done anything, the interview went well and I joined the BBC and did my three-month course. And that then led on, if you passed that, you then went on to do a two-year apprenticeship, which, to be honest, was the best thing ever because being an apprentice in a hands-on job yeah. was the only way forward. Brilliant. We were, we were very lucky. There's a whole gang of us, like Morag Ross, you know, and a whole bunch of us who had the same wonderful opportunity, which... It was like a great stepping stones, you know, often many of us were at the BBC for some years. Yeah, it's an incredible way to start. I, uh, yeah, I just wish there was absolutely. more of it now or any of it Sadly, uh, well, that's the thing for me. I mean, they are marvellous, some of the courses and the university courses. But that thing of actually being in a trailer and learning, you know, often obviously now it's trainees. and do it, But we learnt literally everything we weren't really allowed to touch a makeup brush for the first you know, six months and you'd sort of gradually watch the goings on and, you know, doing all the minimal tasks, but just things like, you know, cleaning your rollers and cleaning brushes. But just being in that environment, I found was really, really beneficial. Absolutely. That age cracks me up that it was 20 it and a half. Well, I guess they felt that that sort of you were out of your teens and I guess there was a sort of, you know, if you were lucky, but it was, it was that half bill, which <laughs> You know, literally it was. And I remember just waiting and I was I was lucky. I was working in the theatre, so it really helped. Yeah. Um, but I was waiting, waiting, and that was the moment. But it was about, I think there was about two courses a year with maybe eight people. So sort of 16 to 20 people a year. So thousands applied. But of course, everyone thinks the job is, you know, the reality of your job and what you think. Of course, mm. there's lots of magical moments, but... Um, no, I, I, I felt very lucky. And luckily, the sort of people in charge at the time were interested in people who had uh, had a little bit of theatrical experience. And by that time, I'd sort of done a year and a half working in professional theatre in London, not in makeup and hair, but, you know, the environment. Yeah. Uh, so it was great. I was super lucky. What kind of things were you doing? Well, I was a dresser. I was a, I was a running wardrobe dresser. I'd run around with great big costumes with very famous opera singers, um, changing their shoes where the curtains went up. It was all quite scary stuff. I mean, it took about last minute. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last minute looks, last checks, whatever. Oh, my goodness. It was, it was really a, a wonderful experience. And also working with some huge opera stars, which, you know, again, it's, uh, you have to, it's you know, just a great ex- way to approach what I was going to go and then enter into. Absolutely. And what were some of the first things that you worked on at the BBC? Did they kind of push you more towards TV or the movies that they make? No, I mean, in those days, there was no movie. It was just they were play for today's. The thing about the BBC in those days, it was extraordinary. It was a factory. Mm. They churned out everything and some remarkable productions, which would now, the scripts they had would, would make, you know, fantastic films but at the time you know it was just done for one night but there was what I loved I think what we all appreciated you know one minute we were doing top of the pops and doing star people you know rock stars the next minute we were doing sort of Heidi High some 1950s comedy and the next thing we were doing a Shakespeare so we were able to have you know incredible very quickly thrown in and a real cross the board. And I think that gave you the confidence, you know, one minute literally slapping on tons of makeup for showgirls mm. and the next minute doing subtle stuff, you know, for Shakespearean plays. So it was, it was remarkable. We, we did everything, absolutely everything, which was yeah. amazing. And we were given the jobs, you know, we weren't, you couldn't choose. It was like, that was what you were you know, going to do. And then gradually, it took about sort of for me about eight years, and you slowly went up the ranks. You know, it was a bit frustrating sometimes. Yeah. But again, in that way, you just felt that when you were became eventually, you know, makeup and hair designer, that you had that confidence, and you'd really had the opportunity to do a, a vast amount of work. Yeah, you weren't necessarily being thrown into something that you were just like, oh, it's sink or swim. You kind of no, knew exactly that you... no. Yeah, we basically. 
I think all those years, I think it took, as I say, eight years, you felt like you touched on most subjects, most periods. It was brilliant. And then I, I left when I had done 10 years. I had a call from working title films and it was sort of, I kind of think I was ready. I was ready to be a bit more sort of not have everything quite so handed out to me. I was ready for sort of a bit, I was, I was hungry and ready to move on. Yeah. Had you been working with other hair and makeup people that had done the same thing and kind of left BBC and you'd kind of seen, been able to see their journey a little? Yeah, I mean, it was obviously, think about the BBC, you know, we were paid monthly, we had a job all the time. Yeah. So to suddenly go freelance was a bit nerve-wracking. Um, but as definitely, as a performer, went ahead a great group, including people like Jenny Shirkor and Morag and a few other, Naomi Don, people who really did very well and gave me the confidence. And weirdly, the whole BBC actually, it was like a, a sinking ship. It went down very quickly and the whole lot became freelance within about three years after I left. So I had a great start because my feet were already, you know, I was already, my foot was already in the door. So yeah. I was in a, even though it was a bit rock and roll at first, and um, it all somehow happened. <laughs> That's amazing. I, um, when I did my makeup training in New Zealand, the reason, one of the reasons why I chose the course that I did was because the tutor was BBC trained. Aha. Uh-huh. And that, appealed to me well the bbc was just massive there was just nothing that could touch it because they just churned out a bit of everything and uh, i think highly respected i think when i began in the sort of late 70s there was like 160 something makeup and hair people wow it was a huge department I mean, it was they were making a lot of content that's amazing oh my it was it was fun well, if you think of all the tv companies now making every tiny little bit in those yeah. days it was really the itv bbc and that was it so wow. it was an amazing i i felt very lucky and it was a time of change and you know Everything in those 10 years for me was a real big change with products. And, and then, as I say, as you gained your confidence, you were asked then to do certain things and then you could choose your staff. You know, it's all of that. It's not just makeup. It's that thing of management, budgets. That was all what you began to learn throughout the 10 years. And they don't have any of that anymore. No. I mean, heartbreaking. I think within... I think that 10 years afterwards, sort of into the early 80s, that was it. It all fell apart and a massive loss to the industry because then that's when all the sort of makeup schools, the sort of London School of Fashion started doing all their courses because there was no other way, which also meant paying. I mean, we were all so lucky. They paid us. Not very much, but, you know, we got paid, which was amazing. Was BBC, was that government-owned or was it privately-owned? No, it was government-owned. And I think, damn it, I I mean, I think it still is. I mean, it's the British Broadcasting Company. Um, I I know they've had their ups and downs, but the money is people pay per month. And, you know, it's it's a paid, yeah, it's a government-run thing. It's so impressive that it worked for some. Yeah, it was. It was a real, I think the sort of 70s, 80s was a real era. And as I say, the quality of the productions, phenomenal. You know, as I said to you, a play for today, a Saturday night slot written by brilliant writers and a piece that would really make a major motion picture. Yeah. So that was, the, that was the quality. It was really out there. And how did you find that transition over into the, I guess, the outside world of BBC? Yeah, that- so it was, it was, and there's no doubt about it, it was pretty scary because it was, you know, you the next job you either had to find or someone had to some, have said something good that you got the next call. And I mean, it took a while. And in that, I had my son. So I was only sort of two years freelance when I had my son. And so even that, it was, you know, it was certainly tricky, but I was very lucky because Working Title, who are now owned by Sony, who did have done so much for British film, Mm. Uh, starting with sort of things like the beautiful laundrette and then doing all those great comedies. I mean, they they were an amazing company and still are, and they had enough work that people like myself, you know, once we got, as I say, the foot in the door there, it was a great start to a career being freelance. And I guess you must have been coming across BBC people all the time, right? Like still mm. hiring them or working with them? Oh, my and, gosh, yeah. yeah. And still great, you know, you know, we've been friends for 40 odd years now. Um, and often on big calls, 
say, when I was doing a bigger movie, you know, sort of a third of that team would be people I'd known for sort of 30 years. Um, mm -hmm. A lot who went freelance in the end, and they were all out there. And of course, amazing people, uh, you know, Jenny Shirkle and Morag Ross, a, a, a vast amount of brilliant makeup artists who went on to do, you know, to be very famous, uh, win Oscars, etc., etc. And that was also an interesting time, of course, because film had been two departments, as it is in America still. But in England, in the early film days, it was two departments. But I think what happened that they took advantage, that the companies took advantage of the fact that us ex-BBC people were trained in both. Obviously, you can't do everything, so therefore you would bring in experts if I wanted to bring in someone who was particularly brilliant hair cutter or brilliant colorist. That's what we did. We'd bring in the help where we needed it because there's no way you can be brilliant at everything. Yeah, I wondered how that happened. That's quite interesting yes, to think I that think it may that, have been from BBC training. Yeah, definitely, definitely, because suddenly there was this great sort of wave of people coming out the BBC who all had been doing both for sometimes twenty years. Yeah, and I mean it's the same in New Zealand and Australia as well. Most people do both, and then if you need something more specialised, someone will come in to. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Do you think it's going to start separating again, like it, it like <sighs> work in America? Or? Well, well, it certainly began to happen in England, of course, because all the big American productions that have taken advantage of the big studios, the mm -hmm. tax situation, the amount of very capable people, the ability to sort of cover Europe and the rest of the world. You know, but of course, you know, when a big actor, a big artist comes in from the States who are used to having two, mm. therefore that did definitely create a situation. But again, that's how it is. I think we all respect other people's work, you know, that if you're, you know, you just do hair, fantastic, or you just do makeup, or you can do both. I never had any problems with it. Um, one would just accept you know, if I was doing a film where someone wanted both separate hair and makeup, then that's what we would do. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you, you just, for each job, you just work around it and make sure, you know, that. But I don't, to be really honest, in my 30 years being freelance, very rarely did that situation arise. We just generally, because I didn't do very big budgets until the latter days. I was very comfortable doing uh, smaller British films where, of course, they were delighted to have both cops make up an yeah. hour, you know, as, as one, you know. I'm sure, I'm sure. I think um, I love the idea of doing both, but when I moved to the States, I needed to choose one or the other. Of I was course. a little bit heartbroken, but I mean, as yes, time goes on, you just find your place and get used to it so I'm just um Absolutely. I'm gonna have to refresh my makeup skills when I go back to New Zealand for sure <laughs> well that's just what happened you know, that's it you have to just you know, that's the way it is as I say as big American films rolled into United Kingdom it was like okay we'll yeah. follow this way we'll work it this way we'll, we'll just you just make it work. It, it, it wasn't easy initially, but then you, you understand sometimes why. You know, there's reasons behind everything. Absolutely. And so, I mean, you do have such an impressive resume of films, just looking through <laughs> your IMDb. It's very cool. Um, everything also from shows that I watched when I was younger, like EastEnders, and I remember <laughs> yes. mum really loving Alexi Sale, and <laughs> there's Grange Hill, like, oh my goodness. <laughs> Well, that's that was amazing. All, so, yeah, that was all BBC days. Yeah, you know, yeah. That's what we used to churn out. And then, of course, through onto many, many more. So let's chat about some of those projects that you've done and what sure. are some standout favourites that you remember and why? Oh, golly, my favourites. I think straight away I remember the fun of starting to work with Guy Ritchie and doing Snatch, which was one of, you know, a row of sort of gangstery movies that I did um, in sort of, you know, early-ish days. Mm. But I love the fact, the freedom of them, the fact that there was very low budget. There we were with Brad Pitt, you know, covering him in sort of home, sort of drawn-on tattoos and all sorts. But everything was sort of cheap and cheerful. You know, we, it was really the work between the artist, the makeup artist, the director, sometimes the writer. It was all kind of amongst four people you know it was such a lovely approach to making films you got on with your bit somebody else got on with their bit and there was it was very 
it was very gung-ho, it was very brave, it was very exciting, and it was great fun. I think I've never had so much more fun than I did on <laughs> on Snatch, just because it was all completely bonkers and uh, a wonderful cast, everyone being very bold and very brave and making, you know, a, a truly wonderful film. The way you're explaining how it was working and what it was like working on it, I think that really shows in the actual film. Yeah, true, like, absolutely. Yeah. God, Guy Ritchie was doing very well then those films oh, were well received so much fun to watch um, exactly. and you would have met Jean Black absolutely the lovely Jean of course indeed <laughs> I did and she was a delight and uh, again that was the first I think it must have been my first time that you know an artist came along with his own makeup artist however Jean you know, doesn't didn't do hair so I would chop Brad Pitt's hair with an old pair of kitchen scissors, dyed it the most disgusting brown I could. And of course, Jean also was not very keen on doing sort of, you know, the tattoos and sort of you know, all the sort of damage to Brad's face. So, yeah, it was, it was a lot. Way... I mean, he had a lot going on, didn't he? So... Oh, a lot going on. And we all, we kind of joined forces, and it was a very nice working relationship. And I think that was the first time, really, that, that sort of situation. But it was intense. But, you know, we literally had no money, no time. And I remember things like Jason Fleming, for example, he was cast the night before we started the shoot. And I remember oh dragging <laughs> dragging out a, a wig I'd had in my sort of big stock bag of old bits and pieces. Yeah. And literally putting it on Jason and thinking, you know, being a sort of playing an Irish lad and thinking, yeah, this kind of works. And then the genius of sort of guy wandering into the trailer just about before we were about to start shooting and saying okay I love that but hey let's just slick it all back and that was wonderful because there he was he came at the right moment slicked it all back and we made a character which to this day one of my favorite mullets on film (laughs) (laughs) we all love a good mullet well I hope we do everyone should appreciate a good mullet (laughs) (laughs) yes so that's what I loved I love that hands-on Something happening literally on the moment that was going to go on screen half an hour later. I really have always that challenge to rise to that has been my, I guess that's what kept me going and what I loved more than anything. And the films that I worked on, which were like that, were for me always thrilling. Yeah, absolutely. Never a dull moment. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) And we loved, we had fun. You know, I think that. I did feel towards the end of my career that fun had sort of slightly gone. Obviously, the more money you were involved, the more bigger budgets. It was not quite the same. Whereas, you know, filmmaking is hard and you spend days and months together. And I think that it's really important to be able to sort of all be able to share and, you know, have a laugh every now and then, that's for sure. Absolutely. And I think, um, so going from Snatch and then, I mean, I feel like aesthetically it's very different as um, Pride and Prejudice. So Yes, that, that was a huge break for me. And it was all to do with Gary Oldman's film, Nil by Mouth, which again changed my career because the film was incredibly well received, a very, very grueling film, an extraordinary stage in my career to work with someone like Gary Oldman who was an actor I'd admired forever Um, yes but his work as a director was something else and that film was incredible and I remember it was Joe Wright who then went on to direct Pride and Prejudice had seen obviously so well you know very well received he'd seen that film and was amazed that Kathy who played the beaten up wife could then look pretty and he said to his production people you know I want whoever that was who created that I want to meet them for Pride and Prejudice and so I was very lucky because also someone had pulled out of Pride and Prejudice so there was a window and not not in a million years did I ever think I'd get the option to do it and when I met um, with Joe Wright it was wonderful because both of us you know having been a very famous version of the of the story a few years back for the BBC hmm. we felt very excited about doing something very refreshingly different a very yes period but being very um just untamed being as real and that was for me a wonderful challenge because that was just really up my street I'm a realist and for me to sort of do hair and makeup which was 
very representative of the real period as opposing to all the perfect pearls and the you know, wonderful work. But the way we approached Pride and Prejudice together and all the actresses and actors who and my brilliant team, we, we were able to, I think, bring a lovely, refreshing quality to a piece of beautifully written work. Yeah, it's. Uh, I just find that, I, I don't know, for me as a viewer, if there is that realness to it, I, I find it a little more relatable. I think if it exactly. just seems so far from anything to do with me, I, I get a little disconnected. So it's it's nice yeah. to just see that realism in there and the hair is more touchable and moves and oh yeah. absolutely we we banned there was you know we did every technique you know the rags we did everything plaits to sleep in this the girls all grew their eyebrows out and we used to pinch their lips and their cheeks for color wow. you know except for the odd continuity spot Mm. We let it all come through. The girls sweated when they danced, you know, hair flopped about. It, it was a really lovely film to do. And Joe, it was one of Joe's first, his first big film, really. And he was so, you know, with us, it was a, it was marvellous costumes. And, and everybody was on the same page, which is what a great film is all about. Oh, absolutely. I want to go in another direction again, because I feel like you've just yes. got, like, everything, there's such a variety of projects. And... That was the fun. That was the fun. I, I didn't have an agent ever. Yeah. Because I was a working mother, my approach was I'd rather try to manage it myself, and that's what I did. And I think that's the great thing about having not having an agent, I hate to say that, but it's that freedom at the time for me that I could I could do anything rather than be sort of put into a little pocket, oh, Faye does this or Faye does that. You know, yeah. I, I wanted to do everything, really. I think I'd love to know a little bit about um, In the Heart of the Sea because that looks like Ooh. it may have been quite difficult. <laughs> well, <laughs> See, the noise that you just made. I just, yes, like when you watch something like that, you're like, oh, my God, imagine working on that. Um, yes, it was hard. It's a shame because the film, as I say, the story, it was, I think, a hard story to make, anything about hurting whales, you know. It was yeah. a very difficult film. Um, challenging, of course, because our actors really had to starve themselves. And, of course, everything was in water. Yeah. And, ev like, everything, everything, everything. And also, a lot of times when we actually couldn't even get to the actors to even yeah. check what bits of beard were hanging off. I've never been so waterlogged. We were... It was incredibly challenging because, as I say, the sheer amount of water, both real out on the real sea and, of course, in the tanks, big studios. And um, Again, a brilliant director, Ron Howard, who I'd already worked with on Rush and um, someone who really did try and help us. And when he edited, would help if there's anything falling off. He understood we were given the brief that, you know, obviously there were times we just couldn't get there to make sure what was going on. The actors were brilliant. They would kind of do checks on themselves when yeah. they were sort of, you know, we'd be whizzing around in boats and trying to get to them. And it was challenging, that's for sure. But sadly, as I said, the film, you know, didn't do as well as it should have done, really. And uh, a lot of the work, I always think there was so much work. We By the time that the, the, the last stage of the actors sort of distress and being mm. shipwrecked and sunburnt and all the rest of it and why... The, you know, there were long makeups, and we all both did like two makeups every morning. So it'd be a four o'clock start, you know, and then to make sure that hair and makeup stayed on, you know, in all those conditions. We were filming on a an island, sort of Tenerife sort of type of island. So it was not just the water; it was also hot. Uh, <laughs> but also the actors were, you know, almost emaciated. They couldn't eat, so their patients—they'd all most of them fall asleep during the makeup call, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, you know, it was tough. It was definitely tough because that amount of water. However, many brilliant products there are now to help with water. Mm. It is not easy keeping all that facial hair, and of course, we couldn't grow their real facial hair because we then would cut back the next day to them sailing off on their day one. You know, so it was. Continuity-wise, we were definitely having to put the work in, but I had a brilliant team who all did their absolute best, and I think we just did that. We, we got there in the end. Yeah. yeah, I think there's just the films come along every now and again, and you watch them, and as with with the 
background of makeup and doing hair, I just mm. watch and go, oh, my goodness. Yeah. That it, it must was... have been rough. And yeah. I know just, yeah, with water, and I'm not a water person, so also that would have added to my, like, ah, if I was on something like that. Just yeah, well, just so getting to the boats, you know, everyone getting from A to B. Weirdly, of course, it wasn't long before that I'd been doing Life of Pi, which right. again was all water <laughs> so I kind of felt like you know I've, I certainly did my my watery days that's for sure <laughs> oh my goodness what was life of pie like to work on amazing oh I mean amazing because a the book is amazing and I never thought that anyone could try and make it but also to have the extraordinary pleasure of working with such a blooming genius you know Ang Lee for me the days with Ang Lee I'll never forget it was a journey like no other it changed it was very life-changing we spent a long long time abroad we were in Taiwan again it was hard and long we were a 3d you know shooting on 3d which again very difficult (laughs) time it took to set everything up and also we had a young you know actor who you know 17 years old Mm. huge diets trying to keep him safe and comfortable and at lunch times, he used to go off and sort of run, run around tracks, sort of, you know, in hundred degree heat with a truck behind him, trying to, you know, pull weights. He'd come back in for after lunch checks, and the makeup would be most of it on the floor, and it was a, you know, a three, you know, to have to patch that up every day. Yeah. Um. I worked, for, you know, it was there were four of us would work solidly on him night, you know, whatever time we'd start in the morning. Uh, because, you know, again, that thing of one day he was pale and chubby, the next minute he was all skinny and dark, mm. you know, and wild. And also that thing of making it not a horror story, you know, the reality of what he would really be like as against to that sort of slightly spiritual sort of sort of dreamlike quality. When we did all the tests, you know, initially it was all too much, you know, someone with scaly skin, especially mm. on 3D cameras. In the end, it was completely... We used no prosthetics, hardly at all, bits and bobs, little bits and pieces, but literally everything was, you know, light and shade. It was all painted on. And I had a brilliant painter, Robin Pritchard, who's brilliant, and he would do all the paintwork. I would do the hair and the face and layers and layers and layers. Again, those layers had to stay on as much as they could in, again, a lot of water. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, yeah, so when I started Heart of the Sea, it was kind of like, uh-oh, here we go again. At, yeah. least it's not, at, at least it's not 3D, but, of course, there was not just one boy. There was sort of, yeah. you know, 30 guys. Anyway, oh there we go. I had a brilliant team, and that's the thing. The team, you know, and again, it's, that's where your work as a team is so important because you can't do it without them. You all need to look after each other. That friendship, those friendships, and that's something that's probably the one thing I miss after my retirement is that incredible friendships and relying on these people that can get you through not just emotionally, physically, mentally, everything through these long periods of time. Certainly do become a bit of a film family, don't you? Definitely. (laughs) And, you know, it's what's so lovely that I keep in touch. And they write every now and then and say, hey, we miss you. You know, we had some good times, that's for sure. That's awesome. And then if we just touch on Fantastic Beasts, because you've got, like, period, but also kind of fantasy going on. Mm. So that's another direction again. Yes, very subtly, because I think, with the amazing sets, the extraordinary costumes of Colleen Atwood, I think the thing is we took a kind of, I think if we'd gone big as well, it would mm. be one just big. You have to find where you fit as a department. And I remember on the first one, you know, it was all American set and everyone was rather slightly, you know, but we kept it incredibly simple, really. Kept it light. And I think that, you know, the fact is you have so much around you, so much to fit into, that we did take a very light approach, simplicity. For example, the lipstick colour I chose for practically 90% of the female cast was one colour. Um, Of course, it reads differently, everyone. It was the colour of the floor of the bank in the first 
uh, film. Oh, I remember wow. seeing this colour. <laughs> I remember seeing that colour and going, that's the colour, this gorgeous. It was a MAC, sort of like a real bricky red. Yeah. But it wasn't the classic 1920s red. It was yeah. our version. I think the thing is, that's the thing. You you know that's fantasy. Yes, the 20s, of course, the 20s and 30s can... Obviously, you can spend hours and you, you take a lot from the period images. But equally, it's not about that. It's about something that just works and the sort of flow and the fit. And that, for me, working with the art department, costume department, it's that sort of literally, it's like a puzzle, a jigsaw puzzle. It's making sure you fit in where you're meant to fit in. And so I took a very low-key approach on Fantastic Beasts. And I, I, I think... I hoped it worked. I think so. I think it paid off absolutely because just the all over aesthetic is gorgeous. So well, it was just that little. It was just a little squidge which one way. In the next, the next film, the number two, you could just push it a little bit. You know, it's it was just pushing it enough without making. Otherwise, you can't. As I think this is the right saying, you can't see the wood for the trees. Mm. So that very much my approach, and I I love that working in conjunction with these great artists because they truly are. You know, art department, costume departments blow my mind. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty incredible. And um, I mean, we may have already touched on this, but I love to ask people what project they found to be the most challenging. And not necessarily the whole project. Maybe it's just one makeup and hair, like one character. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm just thinking, think budget-wise, which was interesting for me, was the film Rush with Ron Howard yeah. about the two motoring heroes. That was difficult because obviously Ron Howard's known to make big movies, big mm. budget movies. But there he took on this amazing challenge to make a, a story which wasn't American at all, a European story about a British and a... Austrian racing drivers yeah but we were on an inc- a budget that I just when I saw the budget I just thought I don't know how we work this one huge crowd scenes mm. every minute you know one minute you'd be doing Japan in the morning and Jap- Germany in the afternoon of course it was the 1970s a lot of hair hairy men hairy women no conditioner it was all big wild and woolly and of course we had some big names as well and I think that for me, that challenged my team, especially Spob, who took over my crowd, because literally they would they didn't stop makeups from you know six in the morning till six at night, because we were doing every different country, and so not only was it different quality of hair, you know, different looks, different time eras in different countries, who was sort of seventies for real, who was still back in the sixties. It was so challenging. And most of my principals were where some of them would be wearing one principal would finish and that same wig overnight. We would sort of du- du- cut a bit off, change it a bit, put a perm in it and next actor would be wearing it the next day. Yeah. And I remember asking Ron Howard, I'd say to him, OK, Ron, today is this is your test for today. Spot the wig you've seen before kind of thing. But it was challenging <laughs> purely because there was a lot expected. You know, no one's going to think that Ron's budget for that film was so low. I think my budget was like sort of £12,000. And, you know, we had sort of must have been sort of 60 cast in a, you know, a very hairy era. And oh also gosh. a lot of the characters were real people who people remember. Yeah. Um, you know, so that was... Yes, extremely challenging. Wonderful to do because I adore working with Ron Howard and I've had the, you know, the privilege of doing that a few times. So, But challenging because, you know, you just thought, how is this going to work? How can I get enough hair together to do all of this? Oh, my goodness. And, well, you know, <laughs> I hope that background casting was helping you out a little bit. A little bit. But the trouble, of course, all the extras often, the, you know, the supporting artists, they would be doing short hair period films right. which was the big thing at the time so you would go yeah. oh my lord but no we were helped but again it's just amazing what my team could do with bits of acrylic and wigs that you really wouldn't normally think of using I think too because of the area you can probably get away with some you know <laughs> exactly that's what we did Yes, indeed. It was the only way forward. So that, as I say, challenging because it was fast and furious, just like the film. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it was, I really, you know, because I knew that 
the expectations were so great because of having a director. It wasn't some unknown, you know, unknown story, unknown director. It was really out there, a very successful film and a brilliant job done, again, with prosthetics. Um, fantastic. And again, that's so important to be able to, to be able to have those people like Mark Coulier who can come along and create such genius. Yeah. Amazing. And looking back, is there, I mean, this is always hard to do because I think every every character or makeup that you kind of do is is your baby of some sort, but um, do you look back and kind of have an absolute favourite character that you just loved creating? Well, two actually, but one of them was Dame Judy when she was in Pride and Prejudice playing I always forget what she was called, Lady whatever. I can't remember her name now, the character, but she was playing the Lady of the Manor. Mm -hmm. And she had this huge big wig on. And it was a great thrill because Judy, her face is amazing, so recognisable. But for her little beautiful face, and it was the biggest pile of hair. and And it was a piece of old... I found an old sort of theatrical piece of hair, great big sort of pompadoury type thing. And then... A wig I'd used on another film beforehand, Ladies in Lavender, with her. Mm. We used that as the front hairline and then stuffed the back with this great, literally, I used to call it the sheep because it did look like a sort of... <laughs> it literally looked. But because Joe's, you know, our DOP, the director of photography, the lighting, for me, when I saw Lady Catherine was the character's name, looking at Judy in that, I was always... Her face glowing, no makeup, mm. this lovely, beautiful, big pile of hair. And when I looked at it for real to my eye, I always thought, God, Faye, how are you going to get, you know, is that dressed enough? Is it good enough? But weirdly, sometimes that works. Hair that, I don't know, it, it just somehow worked. And for me, always one of my favourite. And I loved, loved her in it. And I loved putting that wig on her. Oh, or so two amazing. wigs, sorry, two wigs on her. <laughs> and what was the other? You said you had two. Yes, favorites. the other one was funny enough. It's such a simplicity, a simple look. It was actually Heath Ledger in A Knight's Tale. Heath was an unknown actor. I think he'd done a couple of small films, but he arrived, and I remember, you know, this idea that I wanted him to look sort of like a surfing dude, you know, medieval mm. style surfing dude, and. His, I mean, he'd been in a couple of films. His hair was utterly... I didn't even know where to start with it. And I had one of my colorists came over from London. We were filming in Prague. Someone I'd worked with, I said, we've somehow got to get this hair surfy. And when she did her work on it, and then it was... His hair is really tight cut. It was really tight cut at the front, and then dead straight. That's his hair. But there was daily sort of that wonderful opportunity while... I had my makeup call just to this young man to me was just so I, I thought he was wonderful. He was the a man that I a young man that really affected me and I was so impressed by his work and his, his him as a person. But I remember every morning just putting in the oils to try and get somehow make that hair kind of become mm-hmm. one. And it yeah. was just such a pleasure. But I a little bit of a light tan, once he got his armor out there on the top of you know, on the back of a beautiful horse. It was an image that I just loved because it was so contemporary, you know, in this sort of funky film. And again, it was just something that really satisfied me. That's very cool. I would also love to know, and something that I... Do you remember one piece of advice that's been given to you, maybe earlier on in your career, that has really stuck with you? I think the thing is being able to listen. I always think that I'm quite bad at that. I tend to sort of... I'm so enthusiastic. I was. <laughs> I used to sort of jump into things. And I remember somebody one day just saying, Faye, just kind of listen, listen hard first and then say it. Do you know what I mean? I think it's so easy to be so sort of excited by a project, so carried away with it. But it really it was, I think, a simple thing of just try and absolutely listen to everybody right. and then find the place to say your bit, you know, um, because otherwise it's too easy just to sort of get lost and carried away with it all in the excitement. Yeah. And it was a piece of advice that stuck with me, and I, you know, I hope I learned, and I hope I, I did listen. <laughs> Not sure. <laughs> well, it but sounds like if you're still remembering it, it probably it probably No, worked. it was really it strong, it. <laughs> and it, it was a really strong thing, because I think it was my character, you know, obviously everyone's characters are different, and yeah. the way you approach your work, but 
I knew, you know, I was always very excited. I was very enthusiastic about my work. But obviously, as I say, sometimes you have to just go learn to sort of just sort of shut up a bit, you know, and <laughs> listen. <laughs> and, I mean, our industry obviously goes through so many changes. What do you think's changed most in our industry since you started? Well, well, for me, obviously, the hugest change was working on film and then going on to HD and working right. with the new cameras. It was such a shock at first, and I was... I was really upset and I was it was the early days I thought I didn't want to look at an image on HD. Right. I really didn't. I was so in love with film. I was so, you know, it, it was just so beautiful to work with. It said such a lot and in the early days of HD I just felt so much was lost. And I thought for us our work was challenging enough without putting HD cameras everywhere. However, again, everybody learned and slowly, slowly, the lenses, the lighting, everything then all pulled together. And now, of course, it is, it's not improved, it's amazing. But the same, it took definitely for me, it really, I felt very upset about when film started to disappear. And I, I, I just thought we were on a hiding to nothing. But it was amazing how the camera then learnt to become a film camera. Yeah, isn't it funny? It's just, <laughs> I mean, no. nobody wants to see anything that crystal clear. No. Um, I mean, no. maybe, you know, for nature documentaries or, you know, things like that. Exactly. But certainly not, I don't, yeah, I don't want to see that much of somebody's skin. No, it, it was really hard. I found it really hard to adjust because, you know, it was beginnings, it was sort of like 10 years into my film career as such, mm. you know, and, you know, it was just so beautiful watching lighting and, you know, lenses and learning all of that and suddenly everything changed. And so it, took, it certainly took me a while to adjust. And yeah. But I felt, you know, I saw stuff at the beginning. I just thought, oh, that's just so unkind. You know, it's so, it's so all there. We don't see like that. But as I say, very quickly, the geniuses of the camera world and the editing world and everything else they managed to make it work and now of course it's it's phenomenal yeah i remember a, a stage two where they just kept pumping every room with atmos to oh. try and <laughs> to try and, <laughs> to try and stop it from looking so crisp and it's just like oh my god can we move past this idea because this yes. atmos <laughs> smoke coming yeah, in everywhere is horrible <laughs> exactly no it was a different i think it was difficult for many people and then makeup gets sort of saying, oh, you know, we're going to try HD powders, we're going to do this. I think it took to people time. And also we found like blood colours were a real challenge because suddenly the colour you saw wasn't the colour you saw, you know, on the rushes. Mm-hmm. You know, it took a lot more work as far as making sure that if we were doing realistic things that we needed to believe that we could make the colours work. You know, we had terrible trouble with reds, you know, it was really difficult. That's so interesting. And I know that you're not working in the industry anymore, but what changes would you like to see in the future? Well, the one thing when I left, my big thing, I love teaching and I loved having young people with me. I had huge crews towards the end of the last 10 years. And for me, I wanted them to be really respected. I was mm-hmm. always a little aware that of all the departments, you know, our department there and when you think most times people are watching the film, they're watching a face. Mm-hmm. And I always found it really quite a struggle, sometimes the lack of respect for our department. And i really hoping that as I was leaving, which is now up four years ago, and I'm just hoping that is getting better. I'm hoping as, I guess, films are more complicated, bigger, you know, it's a very big department. It's a very big job to run a makeup department, a makeup and hair department. Yeah. So, you know, for me, it's that, you know, for me, respecting, you know, each department for what they do. And for me, because we were in my country, in the United Kingdom, it was mostly women in the last 40 years. And for me, you know, I think that was quite tough as a woman, you know, to be a head of department. And to get the respect, it was very easy for people to think that the makeup department was, oh, you know, just a little bit of this, a little dab of that. But as you know, it's a challenging department. You're dealing with humans, you know, people, money, time. It's a very, very big job to achieve and to achieve it well. Absolutely. I think just <laughs> when referring to it as the glam squad or something like oh. that, it's just like, oh, oh. my God, are you kidding me? <laughs> I know. 
Oh, my God. I think the worst one I was filming in America. What do they call us? Vanities. Oh, my. That was the word. I was like, hang on a minute. This is that for me. I just I couldn't believe it. I I just because for me, you know, I was teaching and helping young crews come up through, through the system. It was about being bright and learning and education, you know, about because you know, obviously the important thing is that you can talk to anybody. Also, you have to have a brain, which not is to think about, you know, quick timing, historical. I mean, there's a lot that mm. the makeup artist has to have in their brain. And to me, the word vanity suggests the opposite. So yeah. absolutely. For me, I wanted everyone, every single part of my team to be as you know, respected as possible. Yeah, that's awesome. And you mentioned earlier that you had a son. I was just wondering, I'm always interested in people's, like how they tackle the life and work balance because it's a little trickier in our industry because of the hours. So I'm always curious to kind of know how yeah, I don't know how I look back. I think, oh, how did I do it? What was amazing though, as I said to you, because I was a single mom and Theo, mm. my son, I had a full time nanny. We went all around the world together. The first five years, he literally was part of my kit almost. He was with me. An amazing <laughs> experience. An amazing experience for him. Um, he's so easygoing. But he's just sort of used to just doing anything anywhere with any. But of course, the schooling, that got hard. Obviously, when you had to have an education, what I chose to do, I would have to say no to certain films. And every summer, every other summer, I would take the summer off and we'd spend six weeks together. Um, So, you know, I had to learn to say yes and no. And sometimes, even though however much I wanted to do a film, I knew that wasn't what it was. But I had the most flexible, brilliant childcare and a very flexible and wonderful son. So I was lucky, but, you know, there was many times apart. It was grueling sometimes, but luckily he seems to be fine and has many happy memories. You know, again, he got very involved. He used to come and help. I remember even on Knight's Tale, he was 10 years old and his job was just going out serving the supporting artist with water. You know, he, he had a little job, even very young, and got very involved. And, you know, people wanted me there, and they were very happy to have my, you know, my fantastic nanny and Theo there. So we, we were very lucky, but I, I don't know what it's... I think it may even be harder now. I, I think for me, you know, it was early days. There wasn't many people like me, but we kind of... That was it. You know, I came with a little group. You know, I came with my little entourage. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's what it was. But, it, you know, definitely I learned pretty quick that there were times when I'd have to say no to certain projects. Yeah. And it's okay to say no. Like, that's yes, the other thing. I think it's, <laughs> I think whatever your circumstances, you may not just want to do that film. You're absolutely right, Jamie. Being able to say no is really important. Some projects, it just isn't what you want to do. Yeah. Um, you know, some projects, you know, you shouldn't be doing them. It doesn't, you know, that's not what the, you are not what they're looking for. And you have to be able to be very honest and say, I think this isn't going to work because I'm, yeah. we're, you know, we're on a different page here. And no, I think that's all very important in the early days to be very honest and yeah. explain yourself. But no, I have to say it wasn't easy and it's hard. I hope there's a way it will get easier. I know that at Leavesden Studios where we made all the Potter things and everything, they mm. were always talking about opening creches and all the rest of it, creches, I think the right word there. Yeah. You know, it's having places for children to go to. But I think also how I would approach it, I did. You know, if people, some people it suited them to do the morning on a big call, come in for the morning, others come in for the afternoon. I think, I think flexibility has to be really looked at to make, it possible for working mothers definitely yeah and fathers but you know mothers you know the the idea of a makeup call at five you know that child you can't drag them out of bed at five o'clock so for some people it would be no or actually no I can do the afternoon but not the morning and it's very important for you know someone I'm in on my in my department in my scale of work management as such is saying right we can help you there let's make this work yeah, I think having that communication open and just seeing what's possible and not uh, when you're a head of department, I guess not 
also avoiding frowning upon people who are trying to have a life work balance. Absolutely. And trying to help, you know. <laughs> no, I agree. I was always one to say, right, when your work's done, you go. That's it. There's no need. You've put enough hours in. Yeah. And, and that was it. It's also important at the beginning of a project, you know, the team you'd want, that honesty to a team to explain that it's going to be a tough one. Yeah. You know, that it may be very difficult and that you know, locations abroad, blah, blah, blah. You know, I think that real open honesty and being able to understand. And it really helped me because obviously many of my team would have children and trying to make it all work. It's so mm, important. Absolutely. And now that you're retired, well, how, how did you know you were ready? Because I feel like some people just go and go and go and go well, and don't stop. <laughs> Yeah, no, isn't it weird, Jamie? I planned it. I knew, particularly as a working single mum for all those years, you know, 30-odd years of that, I knew I didn't want to be appear to be tired and over it. You know, I think as you get older, you just begin to know that your body... I'd also had a... I'd just fallen downstairs and I'd hurt my foot badly and there were we weren't sure what the problem was, but... I was definitely affected by that. I was not as stable. And the other thing that really affected me, I'd had brilliant eyesight for years and years and years. And at sort of mm. 58, suddenly glasses really threw me because I found it very hard to sort of see the actor in front of me and then to be able to look in the mirror. Mm. And that definitely unnerved me. But even before that happened, I knew that I would, I would love to go while the going was good. And yes. that's what I did. And I planned it. I bought my little house in Italy here. I was very interested in having a second innings in life. And now I'm a textile designer. You know, I I have a studio downstairs. I paint onto old Italian fabric. I have a whole new life. And wow. I think that was a really, it's really wonderful to know that it's possible. And I mm -hmm. did it earlier so that I had the energy to start afresh. Yeah. And I'm really glad. And it was also lovely to go when you when, you know, you just know that it was time to hand over. It felt it felt right. It was a great joy to hand my favorite brushes and whatever, my favorite wigs and beards. I'm going to ask people. about the kit because I feel like yes. that, like once that's gone, it's definitely that decision has been made. Oh, definitely. <laughs> The funny thing is you would laugh because down in my studio, I've got big pots of very old makeup brushes, which come in very useful. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> so I don't think, yeah, my brushes are probably something that would be, and my, <laughs> my hairdressing yeah. scissors, I don't know if I'd ever yeah. give those up. But. No, exactly. But no, I just, I had definitely planned it. It was a definite plan and I was so happy to execute it. And it was a bit frightening. You know, you first stop work and you're not your retiring age and, mm. It was weird. You know, who was I? I'd been a makeup artist for 40 years. You know, suddenly, who was I? You know, who who am I? And, it, you know, I think for women in particular, it's a, a time of... But I would love to talk more about it because I honestly believe it's... You know, to, to, sometimes you have to be brave and, oh, my goodness, is it worth it? I miss my colleagues. I miss actors. I miss that. I miss, of course, many things, but... I did want to do something else, and my innings was long and great. And you know, I enabled myself, my son, to be educated, to have my dream, which I have now in Italy. So I was very lucky. But I did, as I say, I really did plan it. It was a definite plan. I didn't want to. It was so easy to another film. Oh, just do one more. Mm. Phone would ring. Okay, I'll do another one. But in this case, it was like it was. It was lovely to say no. And I tell you what, production companies were really lovely. You know, I'd say, listen, I've retired. And they were like, hey, that's amazing, Faye. Well done. Yeah, well done. That's definitely yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, people were really, really, really supportive. And I, I, I was really grateful to that because it was really nice to hear people say, hey, good for you. Mm. Uh, because, you know, you do have, you know, it is a bit... It is a little unnerving, you know, because it's not like you've worked for a big company, you know, you've been freelance for years. A bit rock and roll, but here we are. Here we are today. And I, I'm loving that, you know, I keep very in touch. I'm very lucky. I'm an Ampass member, so I, I'm able to watch all the films. I, you know, my ex-colleagues keep very much in touch. And I'm, you know, my finger's on the pulse. I'm, you know, I miss it. But I'm also glad that I don't 
you know, I think it's very challenging in your older years to, to, when you've got such grueling schedules to be able mm. to be up. I didn't want my assistants to have to look after me. I didn't want my team to have to do all the things that I couldn't do. And yeah. that's what I was beginning to feel, that I couldn't run up and down and jump on ships and jump off ships and run down this and, you know, clamber around. I, yeah, <laughs> it was a bit ungainly by that time. <laughs> well, hopefully I remember this conversation when it's my time to <laughs> step away because I feel like I'm yes. just going to, I don't know, it just has such a hold on you. It just becomes... It's true. It's, yeah. it's a dry, it's all, you know, it says you literally, yeah, I mean, that excitement when you first get the offer of a new job and reading the script for the first time and knowing the actors, of course. And as I say, it's also wonderful, you know, the friends, the colleagues, the the emotions, the, the love, the, the hate, <laughs> all that stuff. It's a, it's a big, it's a very big job, Jamie. That's for well, sure. I'm so glad that you've... Um that you have moved on and it, it is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, and I'm, you know, I'm now, I'm a textile artist. How fun yeah. is that? That's awesome. <laughs> I love that you've, yeah. yeah, stayed with your artistry. So that's, that's also. Well, it's lovely because colour, I just find colour and I love painting. And I, I think in my latter years in the film industry, you know, because the films got bigger, you became more management. I was actually mm. missing painting faces and doing hair. I was actually, I did. I missed that hands-on. I found myself becoming more management and thinking, gosh, can I actually fit an actor into my chair because I'm busy doing everything else? So yeah. that's just what I'm loving now. I'm back to my paintbrush in my hand where I'm really happy. That's amazing. And Faye, for those looking to get into the industry or maybe at the start of their industry what would you like to tell them that you wish someone had kind of told you maybe well I think you know, obviously if you're going to try and do both jobs I wish I'd done more basic hair training I felt like I came in and I could I sort of ran before I could walk mm-hmm. I would have loved to have a Saturday job and just done a lot more hair basic just basic stuff to understand hair I, I always felt a little bit like I I hadn't I was doing too much down the line without really knowing the basics. So I would always say, particularly with hair, you know, those Saturday jobs, any opportunity to play with someone's hair, practice this, do that, because it's a a huge subject, you know, to get that confidence with it. Certainly, it was the one thing about the BBC, you know, you arrived, wonderful training, but, you know, as I say, I just felt that I kind of jumped in and didn't really know the first bit. I sort of missed page one almost. It was a struggle sometimes, but because most of the productions I did were very real, I kind of got away with blue murder, I swear I did. <laughs> so there you go. But, you know, I would have loved to have, I definitely to enter into the hair world, I would have loved to have had a bit more of a hair background, a sort yeah. of maybe in, in sort of intensive courses are great, but I think I'd have loved that sort of, you know, the classic Saturday job would have been possibly a really good thing to do. Yeah, there's something to be said for doing hair stuff um, with repeating. So yep, repetitive of just doing it again and again. The same thing on different types of hair, different length, different textures, different, yeah, so it's definitely Absolutely. Bad. Yeah, I felt, as I say, that was the one thing I would, I felt fine about everything else, but the one thing that bothered me for some years, I, I sort of tried to catch up, um, but I didn't think you know it was something I missed that's for sure one more question who would you like to hear on the podcast oh my goodness me it's an amazing thing I think what would be interesting is perhaps to find someone who's you know either not at the beginning of their career but who is really the opposite end to me and there was someone called Sharon Martin I'm sure you know the name I have spoken I've spoken to Sharon you have Really? I have, I have. Quite early on, though. So it was, yeah, it was a while ago. She just finished Jingle Jangle, I think. Oh, well, there you go. I'm so pleased because Sharon, for me, was someone who's her dynamism, dynamism, that's a difficult word for me to say, but she really took on board a whole new sort of, and she's she's the new wave, you know, and yeah. uh, 
she knows what she's doing and she's she's just for me phenomenal and I'm very proud that I helped her along the journey down the line you know so that was great but meanwhile as I say there's so many great people out there I know you who've talked to um as I say I think it'd be really fun to find somebody you know the the up and comings because their story is so different from mine and from others of my generation it's those people now where Golly, this in United Kingdom, you know, it's a big world. There's so many, there's so much work. When you know, when I was starting out, there was so little. Now it's 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 a huge industry, and things. You know, the approach to work is very different. People are doing three films at once, and all sorts. I hear as I <laughs> sit here in my Tuscan mountainside. But no, I mean, I think and Davina, I know, is from New Zealand. Um, yes and now again she's such a trooper and someone again who is beginnings of a massive career a very talented makeup artist Faye I just want to thank you so much for your time and I have thoroughly enjoyed talking to you so thank you so much thank you Jamie I hope I haven't babbled on too much Um, but I think it's been really (laughs) nice though that we've touched perhaps on subjects you know about retirement about working mothers it's just so important because you know it's all very challenging stuff so thank you for asking me more about it really really good thank Thank you. you jamie for links to see more about our guests go to our instagram at the last looks podcast or our website thelastlookspodcast.com if you want to keep up with new episodes being released be sure to subscribe through apple podcasts spotify amazon google play youtube or any podcast streaming platform and remember if you're enjoying the show share it The Last Looks podcast would like to thank Brett Stanley and Sabrina Castro. The song Fun Time by DJ Quads. Thanks for listening. Until next time. That's a wrap, people.